This is Israeli Technology Founders Speak, a podcast of conversations with successful Israeli high-tech and biotech entrepreneurs. With me, Barack Holman. Jeremy Ben-David is the managing partner and founder of JMB Davis Ben-David, a Jerusalem-based intellectual property firm dedicated to assisting innovative companies in growing their markets in Israel, the United States, and around the world. In fields ranging from medicine to agriculture, cannabis to diamonds, water technologies to software, and more. I sat down with Jeremy in the offices of JMB Davis Ben David. We spoke about when does an inventor need a patent? When do you know that you need a patent attorney? What makes a great invention? What are some of the major mistakes inventors make when it comes to patents? What do you do if someone else came up with a similar idea? And what happens after you get a patent? How safe is your invention after a patent? This podcast is a creation of JMB Davis Ben David, an intellectual property law firm serving clients around the world. You have great innovations. We keep them safe. It's not just enough to have a great startup idea. If you don't legally protect your innovations, products, and brand, anyone can claim them as their own. We help you keep your great innovations secure. Learn more by going to jmbdavis.com. That's J-M-B-D-A-V-I-S.com. Many people have ideas. Many people say, oh, this would be a great invention if somebody just came up with this. And the question is, if the person really believes in their idea, they really think that they have truly a great invention that the world needs, then what? What's the next step? What should somebody be doing after that? Let's be realistic. You get up in the morning, you have your daily routine, you go to work, and at some point during that routine, you get this flash of inspiration. And part of the problem is that in many cases, you have no idea whether beyond thinking, everyone needs this. You have no idea whether uh, people would actually want to pay money for it. You think it's a great idea. You know, I think that having a hip flask installed in a face mask inside of the Times would be a great idea. But do I think people would pay for it? Probably not. Do I know how to do it? No. Am I going to stop my day job in order to find out how to do it and see whether there's a market for it? Also no. And that is the way that 99.9% of all of these flashes of inspiration go. Once in a while, there will be someone who says, you know what, this is something that I think everybody could use. It's in my field. I know how it could be done. Or maybe I don't know, but my best friend or my neighbor or this other guy in my company, they could definitely develop it. And I could get to a point where I could see how to do it. I could find out if the market wants it. And then I can decide, am I serious enough about it? that I want to invest money that maybe I've put away for a rainy day, that my family will not be able to use down the road, possibly, if I lose that money? And do I want to also invest my time instead of going to work or instead of spending time with my family? So the, so those are the serious questions that everybody has to deal with. So you're saying that somebody who has an invention, it's not just enough to come up with an idea. It will take up a lot of time and money and does the person understand that this might be a serious commitment of years? That's exactly what I'm saying. Even those ideas, or shall we say, 
inventions because anyone that has some experience understands that you do not patent ideas, you patent inventions. An idea is how I might do something possibly. An invention is something more concrete. Anyone that has experience of that knows that it does take an investment of time, an investment of money, mine or someone else's, an investment of a huge amount of energy. It has to be something you believe in. Because if you don't believe in it, or you can't get the money, or you really don't have the time, then just put it down to experience, write a note about it in your daily journal, so that you can say in 30 years from now, well, if I refer back to my diary, here, here's proof that I thought of this before anyone else. That's what that's where you should leave it. So it's not just enough to come up with a great idea. It has to be something that you give it a lot of thought afterwards, and you, you try to figure out who's your market, who's the person that's going to buy this, who's going to actually put out money for an invention. I'm guessing some people think, well, I don't need to actually sell my invention to the public. I can sell it to another company that would adapt it. I always think of the screw top on the toothpaste, you know, that pops off. There's at least a myth, I don't know if it's the real story, that the guy kept it secret and he went to Colgate and he said, I have something that's going to change your life, but I can't tell you because if you see it, then you'll steal it or something like that. I'm glad you mentioned that. First of all, as far as that myth is concerned, soon after I came into the field in the 1980s, I started hearing about this urban legend. Was it true? Was it not true? I don't know. I heard that it's actually the shape of the, what's it called? The shape of the opening of the toothpaste tube. The screw top. Right, but it's the shape that it gives to the toothpaste as it comes out. Ah, okay. That's what I heard. I mean, that was the patent. Or that no, was no, the this, this is the thing. This, it wasn't a patent. The, again, the version of this urban legend that I heard, and I hear it probably on average about once every decade from an entrepreneur with a dream after he walks through my door and starts telling me about what he has thought of. And uh, it's actually within the context of, well, I actually don't need a patent. I can just have someone sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, where they agree to keep my invention secret, and then I'm made for life. So the first thing is, it's an urban legend. Did it happen or not? I don't know. Did they get lucky? Did this person get lucky by having Colgate agree to pay him a lot of money if they thought he had a good idea and nothing more than a good idea? Mm -hmm. Maybe. What are the chances of it happening to, to you or anyone else that walks into my office close to zero? So buy a lottery ticket. A lottery ticket is probably a better bet. So there are a couple of things actually that came up here. First of all, with regard to I'm going to invest money and effort into registering my patent so that I can then sell it, it is true that some patents are worth millions. Most patents are not. There's also a, well, like one of the secrets of the profession is that many patents, while they will be registered, which means that the patent examiner has not found a reason why they don't meet the conditions necessary to get a patent, if they were ever to reach court, especially if used to sue someone, sue another side for millions of dollars, that side will most probably find enough what we call prior art, prior knowledge, which means that the invention is not so new, or at least not as new as we thought it was. The other side will find enough prior art to annul that patent. Most patents are a very significant minority, will not stand up in court. So why get a patent at all? Because you want to play the game. You know, it sort of reminds me, 
I'm going to bring in China now because China's, you know, always news. It's like Jews are news, well, China's news. Mm-hmm. Back in 1994, the Chinese wanted to join the rich economic club of the world. I think it was the G5 at the time. I'm not sure. And it was known at the time that China did not respect intellectual property at all in any shape or form. Do they now? Absolutely. I'll be happy to relate to that. Okay. Absolutely. And in fact, I don't. I know this is only a short podcast, but I could talk to you about talk to you on, the, on that subject for hours, and you'd be sorry you asked the question. Okay. Back in 1994, they certainly did not respect intellectual property, and the nations of the West said, "If you want to join our club, by all means, but you have to get your IP Act in order. You have to get your house in order." And at that time, the Chinese government then went about implementing major, major reforms. took a long time. It probably was not until the second decade of this century that they really, really started to become a leading nation in IP. And in fact, as we know, when the Chinese set their minds to something, they will go all the way. They'll do whatever it takes. They have the resources to do that. And in China as well, when the government tells its citizens, we are now going to respect IP, we are now going to do whatever it takes so that our behavior is in keeping with all the IP standards of the West, the developed world, then that's exactly what will happen. And that's what did happen. So why is this related to what's the point of getting a patent? Because this is the way the world works. You hear various US presidents talking about the way that, again, the Chinese are stealing IP. I take issue with that statement. But the fact that a US president would address that issue means that it's big business. A number of years ago, I heard the then CEO of Philips make a statement, which was that a business strategy without an IP strategy is not a business strategy at all. It may well be that any given patent that enters court will not leave it unscathed. But if you don't have a patent, you're asking for trouble, you're asking to be copied, and most importantly of all, you're asking not to be taken seriously. So if you believe in your business idea, one of the very first things you need to do is to see, do I have something that can be patented? What is that? What needs to be done? When do I need to do it? And where, in which countries, do I need to have those patent rights? So at what stage does somebody with an invention need a patent? They, in view of the fact that obtaining a patent and obtaining a valid patent means being new, novel, inventive, and what makes something not new? If it's already out there, if I can find a either a prior patent that describes my invention, or if I can find a an article in a scientific journal, it doesn't matter if it has been published before the date that I file, I first file my patent application, then I'm too late. So the answer is when you have your invention, when you have the necessary information and the necessary funds to file an application for your first patent, you do it immediately. I would say that yesterday would not be too early. So you're saying that a person has to have a very clear idea. They have to have money. Tens of thousands of dollars? It does not require tens of thousands of dollars. Again, I think there are a lot of myths about patents. Mm -hmm. One of the myths is that you need to have, in fact, hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to patent your invention worldwide. The first thing is you don't need to patent your invention worldwide. You need to patent it in places where 
and you're talking about countries, specific countries, where it will be sold or where you think there's a large market for it. If there are countries where you see that you're going to have, if it's very, very, involves very specific technologies, which most things don't, but if it does, then, and there are a handful of manufacturers in the world, you need to patent it in those countries. That's mainly what you're talking about. There are other criteria as well, but those are the big two. And it is also, it may cost tens of thousands of dollars, but that's over time. You'll fi- first file a, a first patent application, which will cost you, let's say, a few thousand dollars. Obviously, you know, there's no, no, there's no such thing as one price because it depends on a number of different factors. But it will cost you a few thousand dollars, single digits, to get a first application on record. After that, you then have a period of 12 months, a priority period, when you can file applications in additional countries. And you're still claiming rights from your first filing date which means the most important thing is to get that first application in. It's like getting your foot through the door. After that, you can worry about getting the door open, but that's getting your foot through the door. When does a person not need a patent attorney? When he has no plans to obtain patent protection, when there's no plans to obtain trademark protection, no plans to obtain protection for his novel product design. If he doesn't do doesn't have any need for those things, then he doesn't need a patent attorney. So you're saying everyone who has an invention that wants to sell it in some way needs a patent attorney? Yes, there's, there's no question about that. Drafting patent applications and obtaining the patents is and analyzing the, the prior art, all the information that's available beforehand. That is, has its own set of rules in its own codes, the way you do it, just like any other specialized profession. In order to get dental treatment, I go to a dentist. In order to get certain types of medical treatment, I will go to a specialist who deals with that area of medicine. In order to do things, in order to get a patent, plus other types of intellectual property, you go to a patent attorney. And you make sure that it is not a patent attorney that says, well, I can do everything. Because most patent attorneys can't do everything. Most patent attorneys have specialized fields, whether it's in chemistry, or mechanical engineering, or biotechnology, water technologies, there will be certain areas where they will have specialist knowledge. And if they don't, then you need to ask for a recommendation for someone that does. From your experience, what makes a great invention? So somebody can have a great idea. They think it's going to change the world. But there are great inventions and there are great ideas. It's one of those things that's actually not really a criterion for a great patent. It is not something that I consider when someone walks through the door with a new invention. And again, when I say someone walks through the door, it can either be literally someone walking through the door, such as the guy with the flash of inspiration, or it can be a, a company that is developing a new product line locally, or it can be an, a patent application that's referred to us by a colleague of ours in US, Europe, China, Japan. All of these are about inventions. And on the one hand, when I say we have a job of work to do, it makes it sound very, very mundane. But on the other hand, we are with a messenger for our client. It's not up to us to decide whether the invention is great. It's not up to us to decide whether the invention is going to sell. In fact, I often get the question, so, you know, will this sell? And I say, well, we're patent attorneys. 
you want to get some marketing advice, you go to a marketing consultant. In the same way you need to get a business plan and you do need to get a business plan if you don't have one already, you need to go to someone that does that. We as patent attorneys are very, very good at getting your patents and advising you what the best strategy is for your patents. And if you tell us your marketing strategy, you tell us where you plan to manufacture it, you tell us where you plan to sell it, when you plan to do all these things, where your investors are, what do you need for in order to attract your investors, then we can tell you all of that. But beyond those things, there are other professions who will advise you. Many years ago, there was a guy that walked into my office and he might be listening to this, so I don't want to give too much away. Uh, it was before the, I set up JMB, so it's more than 25 years ago. And he, it was a, let's just say it was a wearable invention. And it was in the field of, shall we say, cosmetics. And he was uh, a middle-aged guy, bald, and it's something that you wear on your head. And this was, I think, the only time when as soon as he put it on, I absolutely cracked up. I could not stop myself laughing. Of course, I apologized. It was unprofessional. I'd never done this before. He saw the funny side of it as well. He also knew that he looked funny. I don't think his invention went anywhere, but who's to say that it wouldn't? It's not my job to say whether this invention is great or not. I can think that something is useful, such as we have clients who, are de who develop new drugs, new treatments, new drug delivery systems. We have clients that are involved in the field of medical marijuana. And all of those things, I can say, will they benefit society? Will they benefit people? Yes. But, but are those great inventions? I don't know. I don't, think I'm, I don't think I've had enough experience to be able to say this is a great invention. So what is a great invention that's proven itself in the market that you came across and you thought this was a really bad idea? And then it turned out to be a great idea. I realized that talking about great inventions is really, really fascinating. Everyone wants to know about a great invention. I can tell you of a great missed opportunity. The CT machine. What's the CT machine? CAT scan. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's not a machine for putting cats inside so you can see what they've had for breakfast. As we know, this is something which is um, a little bit more serious and it's used in every major and most minor medical centers worldwide these days is a, is a crucial tool for diagnosis. A fellow came to me in the late 90s with an invention. It was not the, the CAT scan machine, but he told me, by the way, he had made Aliyah. He had come to live in Israel from somewhere in Eastern Europe a number of years before. And he said, you know, I invented the CAT scan machine. But, and I think he told me it was a while ago, that he had started to work on it. And then all of a sudden, before he, before he was aware that anything was going to happen, a major medical device company in Europe came out with it. So that was a major miss, at least as far as this inventor was concerned. And I think that any patent attorney that's been around for a number of years will have inventors who have inventing in their blood. They think inventions, they eat inventions, they breathe inventions. Once in a while, they have something which they will actually proceed with in terms of getting a patent application or filing a patent application. And very often, these people will have, a, will have tell you they've thought of ideas for inventions, but then while they were thinking about it, someone else was actually doing it. But, but there is actually a, uh, what the inventors 
thought was going to be a great invention, which to me seemed a terrible idea. And in the end, the patents in any case did not hold water. Many people have heard of a product called Epilady, E-P-I-L-A-D-Y. This was one of the first inventions that I came across when I entered the world of patents in the mid-80s. And it was a device for removing hair, removing hair from the arms and legs of anyone that would use it, primarily ladies. And it, uh, it worked on, a, on the basis of using a spring, which when it was working, it would alternately contract and expand. And the idea was when it contracted, um, if there were hairs between the coils of the spring, it would, it would grab them. And then when you, you could pull the hairs out. To me, it seemed like a, a torture device. But on the other hand, I've never had to do anything like that. So, so maybe there are some people that would, I don't think you know if you can say this, would enjoy that. It seemed to me like pretty barbaric. But at the time, it was seen to be a great idea, much better than the alternatives. And again, if you, if you think in terms of patenting, so they were using this machine, which did not necessarily involve liquids or blades, razors, which, were the, which was the prior art. So maybe it was a good idea. In fact, there was a company from uh, Kibbutz Hagoshrim in the north of Israel that thought that it was a very good idea. They invested money in developing it. And at the same time, they were filing patent applications. At the same time, seeing this device come out, you had a company, Remington, which is a very well-known company, makes shavers. And they also decided to get into this field of hair depilation. And they noticed that there was a certain detail with the way the coil worked. This is the coil again, which contracts to grab the hairs before they're pulled out. And they saw that there was a certain element used in the coil in the claims of the patent. Now, the claims, for anyone that doesn't know, is, is that part of the patent that defines the legal boundaries of the protection, if you like. It's actually an exclusion area that defines what a competitor may not do. If you like, it's a fence around a property. And the problem was, uh, as, as I recall the story, that Remington came out with their own version of this, which they claimed had a detail which was different from that specified in the patent. They were sued for patent infringement, and Remington was successful in showing that they had not infringed the patent. So even the patent, even though the patent stood, it did not do the job. Now, you may say, well, that shows that the patent therefore was too detailed. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that it was not possible because of the prior art, because of what was previously known, the patent that was obtained was the broadest possible. So you never actually know whether your patent is going to be successful on a number of levels. The first one is, are you going to be able to obtain a patent? Because you file a patent application and it, is then, it then goes through examination. So a patent examiner in whichever country it happens to be, whether it's the US, Israel, Japan, China, and one of the European patent offices. So you may be successful in obtaining a patent by getting the patent examiner to say, yes, I'm, I'm prepared to give you a patent with this definition, with these claims, as we've said. When it comes to the court, though, the side that is seeking to go around your patent will be investing tremendous resources because normally what's at stake um, is not a patent which costs you know, several thousands or maybe by then several tens of thousands of dollars if you've tried to propagate it in different countries. But then what is at stake 
is a lawsuit, which is almost certainly going to run into the millions. Wow. Millions. Millions. And because of that, the two sides are going to, and certainly the side uh, attacking the patent, is going to invest vast resources in trying to bring the patent down. Or if it's a corporation which has a patent which is being infringed, they too will invest very significant resources, maybe a team of uh, half a dozen or a dozen lawyers trying to find something to make their case, which means the stakes when something gets to court, the stakes skyrocket and someone comes out hurt afterwards. So that makes me think in these days where the internet has kind of leveled the playing field in a lot of areas, for example, book publishing, you don't need a publisher now, you can publish your own book, have a beautiful professional looking book, if you put the effort into it, and then market it and do great. Whereas in the past, that used to be like a closed box. The internet in many ways leveled many playing fields. Can just the small person, the small inventor compete with big companies when it comes to something like this? So let's say it was just some guy who invented Epilady and he's up against Remington who has so many resources. Is it even worth somebody who's just an individual to even pursue a patent? As I mentioned earlier on, one of the things that you need to have is commitment. Commitment comes from belief that what you have is what is needed, is something that the world needs, and you are in the right place at the right time to advance it. Sometimes you will be successful and you will be able to sell your invention wrapped, protected, if you like, by one or several patent applications or by then registered patents. You'll be able to sell your invention to a large company. It really comes back to what I said at the beginning. If you are not committed to it, committed to playing like the big boys, then you probably should not be advancing your idea. However, even with all of that advice, and it's almost like a, a, a known secret, any entrepreneur, you know, in Israel, there are five, six, seven thousand new startup companies every year, or any one time, that's the number of startup companies, which means that at any one time, if you have, let's say, let's say if this month there were 500 new startup companies, just for example, it means that probably 500 also closed their doors this month. The chances of, of success are known to be low, but the ones that will persevere are the ones that say, yes, that's fine, but I am going to be one of these companies because the idea that I have is second to none. This will totally revolutionize the world. Think of something like Facebook. Again, I'm no expert on Facebook. I've seen, I saw the movie like anyone else. I've seen what it is now. It apparently started almost as a, as a digital online prank among college students. Think of a ridiculous name for a search engine like Google or Yahoo. These are crazy names. Who on earth would take anything like that seriously? Well, it actually happened. So let's conclude with startups. Does a startup need a patent? Let's say they're not creating. Uh, we had we had an interview with Talia from Genetica Plus. So let's say they're not so detailed into genes and biology and things like that. They have some idea, a Facebook type idea. Do they need a patent for that? There's a difference between needing a patent and being able to, to obtain a patent. A lot of people have great ideas. A lot of people even know how to make those ideas 
into actual working systems. If they're in the field of software, of apps, most probably they would not be able to obtain a patent. It's not to say they none of them can, but most of them could not. If the science or the technology of the startup is based in actual science or technology, again, if it's a device or it's a medicine or it's uh, some system, again, which, which really involves real-world effects which will benefit people, then they can get a patent as long as it's sufficiently new. Do they need a patent? They need a patent because otherwise no one will take them seriously. And the first person that does take them seriously will most likely tell them to their face, I'm not taking you seriously. And the next thing that will happen is they will take that idea and run with it. Let me give you one example about startups that understand they need patents, but they feel they don't have enough money just yet to advance their patents. Many times they will say, well, how do I get my money first? And of course, in the, shall we say, the old days, well, they either need to uh, dip into their bank savings, friends, family, other investors, okay? And then they can more or less keep secret secret. What has happened in the past few years with crowdfunding is that startup companies, because they don't have the funds in order to advance very much of what they want to do, including patents, which are perceived as being more expensive than they necessarily are, companies will put up their idea, their invention on a crowdfunding site. They may well be successful, but while they are raising money through crowdfunding, someone else, and very often it's a Chinese company, is looking at that information, saying, thank you very much. This is public domain. We know how to implement this more quickly and better than you. And while the startup company may call foul because their information has actually been stolen, it hasn't been stolen any more than if I take a $100 bill and I go down to the main street and leave it there, come back a week later, and is expected still to be there. Anyone coming across that $100 bill with no one in sight, none who's obviously left it there for safekeeping and picks it up cannot be faulted. Anyone that puts the money there and expects it to still to be there obviously has given up that money. Anyone that puts information out on a crowdfunding site or, and I've heard about this as well, if you're on a social media site, if you say, in our company, I was just involved involved in the most amazing project and here's what we did. Well, that is giving it away. Something which is public domain, something where you have told about your idea, your invention, your development, your new technology to the world. It now belongs to the world. So first of all, even if you think you can't yet afford to file a patent application, speak to a patent attorney. What you think may be confirmed, but you may be surprised. And then when you go to a patent attorney with an idea in hand, and you're saying, look, I don't think I have the money to pursue this. So I really need to go out and crowdfund, put everything on the table, talk to him. Patent attorneys are not just about drafting good patent documents. They're about taking a step back, about seeing the bigger picture, seeing what you need in order to grow a business from the seed that you've just planted with your idea, with your concept of an invention. And they should be able to to help you get the first patent application on record. After that, you're free to go and raise money. You should still be careful with the knowledge that you're giving away. But no one, once you have that first filing date, 
no one can then get in before you to get an earlier date for your invention. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That was Jeremy Ben-David, the managing partner and founder of JMB Davis Ben-David, a Jerusalem-based international intellectual property firm. We hope you enjoyed this episode. There are many more to come. We'd love to hear about your startup and what you're working on. If you have a great innovation, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by going to jmbdavis.com forward slash startup. We have a special site specifically made for startups in order to help startups protect their innovations. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to being with you in the next episode.